What I'd like to do is read some of the scripture that we'll be looking at. It's uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. It's talking about how we are different from pagans. And we are different from pagans. And that's uh, hopefully something that's, that difference is increasing all the time. Um, but let me read it. What it talks about, uh, this is the part of Ephesians where it talks about, after you know the right theology, how does your mind become different? How are you different? What do you do that makes you different? <clears throat> and here it is, 4, 17 to 32. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And you'll be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with, with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no more, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here and speak to your people. But Father, I pray you forgive my sins. Make me a vessel that you can use, use my words, I pray, to enter into their heart and truly bring the fruit from that heart in each of our hearts that you want and you can, you can produce and only you can produce. So, Father, we thank you. Our confidence is in you and not in me or the words I say. We trust you to bless your people through these words to the praise and honor of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Well, what percentage of your life would you say is satisfying? What would it take to make the rest of your life satisfying? Whatever that percentage is. Oh, and by the way, there's an outline in your bulletin. 
In fact, there's two outlines. I, I forgot to tell him to cut it down the middle. So I guess I've got to preach two sermons now. I, 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 <laughs> so I'll spare you that. Uh, I'll spare you that. But uh, what I wanted to share for you today is a life in a, seems in a lot of ways is unsatisfying. Um, a lot of people have life that they just grind through. So some people commit suicide. I mean, it's just life doesn't mean much to them. It's not satisfying. And they've just come to grind it through, grind it out. But what would it require to have a life that's totally satisfying? How would you do it? Well, the verses we just read talk about how true change happens for God's people. The idea is that we don't walk like the pagans walk. Why? Because the pagans are locked into a bad mindset. It's a bad mindset. They're darkened in their understanding. It says they're excluded from the life of God, verse 18, because of the ignorance that's in them. They're stupid. It's dumb. The way they're living is crazy. And why is that? Because the hardness of their heart. Their heart is hard. They don't know any better. Because they stay locked into the futility of their minds. That's what it says. Verse 17 at the end. Because their heart is hard. You know what it feels like to have a hard heart? You can't feel it. You can't tell. If you walked up to somebody and said, do you have a hard heart? How many people would you say, yes, I have a, I'm a hard-hearted. Nobody would say that. Even if they have hard hearts. They become callous. What's a callous? They've locked into this. They become callous. A callous is something you can keep banging away and all of a sudden it gets a big lump of flesh over it and you just can't tell what you, that it's even being hit anymore. It becomes insensitive to whatever you do. And so they became callous, following the lusts of deceit. Lusts of deceit. What's a lust of deceit? A lust of deceit are things that we're convinced should yield the best life possible. But in the end, and we go after those things, but in the end they only leave bitterness and disappointment because they're lusts. Lusts are liars. Now, how do they come about? How do these lusts grip you? Well, lusts come about because we foolishly let our body be the boss in our life. If your body is the boss, lusts, your fleshly appetites, whether they're appetites for food or your appetite for pleasure, those appetites will rule you. If the body is the boss, those appetites, those, so you're going to have some kind of lust, some kind of flesh, fleshly attraction or whatever it is to something that's going to rule you. They harden you and make you think that the body's enjoyment is all that matters. The only trouble with this is that you're not just a body. You're not just a body. In fact, most of the people who have lived on this earth have died and have lived far more time outside of the body than they have in the body. There's a different way to live. 
you see it in our culture everywhere. People chasing these lusts of deceit. You know, movies, video games, cursing, losing your temper, talking down to people, illicit sex. I mean, whatever it is, food, it just keeps, you keep chasing them. And they never deliver. They never deliver. Well, what I'd like to do, I'm hoping to get you angry this morning. Angry at how much life you've, we've all lost or not enjoyed simply because we've ruled out the most satisfying things that God has planned for our lives. We never even thought about how wonderful those things in our life right now could be. Because if you're like me, my heart has been hard. And I've become callous to some of these things and I just never even think about them. I just rule them out automatically. A great deal of the life God intended for his people involves, get this, it involves repetitive activities. Repetitive activities. Things that many of us have dismissed as ever containing the attractive, most desirable things in life. Repetitive activities. Particularly important are the repetitive activities that involve other people along with ourselves. So I'm hoping to really see if I can open your eyes to things that you just, you and I both have just, just dismissed. <laughs> and God is sitting there thinking, oh, these are the best activities. So what is needed by us all the time is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, just like it says here in, in uh, verse 23. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. A new mindset about the things in life that truly are the best things in life. Even though they might not seem like it right now. These will not be the things sought out by the pagans. <laughs> They'll have missed them all. Their lives are never the ones we want ourselves to be like. They're body controlled. We need to look in places the pagans will have rejected. Places the media will never cover. Places our culture will dismiss, pass by, or, or maybe just endure or put up with. Yet these places will be the greatest, will have the greatest life satisfaction and deepest enjoyment. Now, but let's see if the Lord does this. And maybe he can save and give us back a whole chunk of our lives that we've just put up with. So here's the proposition of this sermon. Since God has created us in his image, and he has. We must examine how he created our world in order to enjoy the things with his satisfaction and enjoyment. Learning how to live life that's, that's fulfilled, that's satisfying, is a learned experience. You just don't grow up. If no one tells you or shows you some of these things we'll look at today, you will miss most of everything that's precious in life. And if you're a young person here especially... You miss everything, virtually everything there is to miss, and you won't even know it. So let's take a look at this. Three things. God deliberately designed life to be filled with repetitive activities. Two, the repetitive activities God gave us are the best, the best. And then what are the secrets to enjoying these repetitive activities? What do you have to do to get into this kind of satisfaction? May God give us grace. Let's see what happens. Number one, God designed life to be filled with repetitive activities. 
God was free to design life any way he pleased. And so he designed it knowing he was going to put creatures, he was going to put his image into the creatures he developed, us. Being kind in all his ways, he could have designed life uh, for his images to consist of things and activities that he would love to do himself. When you think about that, he knew he was going to come down and be one of us and live in our body, in our situation, exactly like he was having us live. So why are the particular activities that he designed for us? No one knows, but one thing must be certain. There are no more enjoyable activities, at least from his perspective. He designed the whole system with himself knowing he's going to be human himself. So what he designed that life to be like has to be the best, something he least likes. And if he likes it and we're in his image, we should like it too. All of creation is designed around repetition. Number B, all the physical laws and courses of the planets and the stars all come down, all the way down to protons and electrons. All predictable, all repetitive, enough to study and predict them. We can have science. Science is only the study of the repetitive. That's why creationists, you really can't have someone to tell you about how the world was created because it's not repetitive. You can't make up, you test it and see if you're conclusion. You just can't. Apparently, God loves his created order, and he loves seeing the things he created to do the same thing time after time after time. He never gets tired of seeing the sunrise, never gets tired of the moon phases, the tides of the ocean, the sunset, the seasons, seed time, and harvest. How many of them has he seen? He could change them anytime he wants. He apparently thinks that he, liked, he must like them. Some of the most notable repetitive activity, activities that he designed for us include the following. Working. Raising children. The worship service. Huh? The holidays. The Sabbath day. Birthdays. Waking up. The Lord's Supper. Weddings, going to bed, eating dinner together, sex, to name some of the most familiar. Now, if God wove things like these into his general life plan for us, they must be the most wonderful things there are for us. And if we understood God, understood things like God understands them, we would never get tired of doing what he loves himself to do. Does that make sense? It's different. It sounds like I'm crazy, but what's he going? There are no better things to enjoy or he would have created them for us. He, he looked at us at the end. He said, and he said, what did he say? This is good. He himself said it. He created the best there are since he knows everything. And it only stands, and this is a, a strange concept too, I think, it only stands then that the best activities stay the best activities. Does that make sense? He stay, if, they're, if they're better out there, he would have he made them better. 
But he's enjoying the same things time after time after time. The best must stay the best. Or he himself has to be learning what the best is, and that can't be true. Besides, he himself and his people, he planned to continually do them with us. Where is Christ right now? He's in you, doing these repetitive things, time after time. Do you think he's having fun? He sure is. It's exactly what he wants to do. It's his perfect plan for us. God put all these things into the kingdom he designed for us, his images. And so if we don't enjoy what he enjoys, it only means that we're cheating ourselves out of much of the enjoyment he intended for us to have. You know, it doesn't it say that? It says, verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. There it is. And how many of God's people have sort of excluded themselves from the life he's intended for them? Now, in fact, there is something that God planned to do once and once only and never again. What would that be, you think? Something that God only planned to do once, never again. Especially since he can do anything he pleases, what would find him doing one thing one time and never again? Can you think of what it would be? It was when he died on the cross for us, paying the terrible price for our sins in great suffering, once for all, never to be repeated. Why? Because sin always separates, always separates. Not only us from God, but also us from one another, us from ourselves. Sin separates everything all the time. And after he himself had suffered separation from his father in order to reconcile us to God, Christ did away with separation between anyone in God's family. Separation is one thing in the family of God no one wants to repeat once for all, Christ paid the price, never to do it again. So let's look at how these repetitive activities God gave us are the best. Well, first, these repetitive activities ensure that if they are the most enjoyable times, that they are not missed. It's easy to miss the best things. God designed what he thought were the best activities in life to occur regularly, and usually often for us to enjoy them, same as he does, over and over again. Because he knew many people would miss things that are important. But now many people have ruled them out already, like we have saying. You, they, and so when you've ruled something out, what do you have to do in order to even consider something so unusual? so different. You have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You actually have to open your mind up and say, is there any possibility that what the scriptures are saying, what this pastor is saying is, is right? Let's see if God can save this part of our life. Not only do repetitive activities ensure that the enjoyable times are not missed, but these repetitive activities also give us the bright spots to look forward to in the future. 
the bright spots to look forward to in the future. When life gets a bit depressing, and it does, what do you look forward to? One of the God's repetitive activities. Don't you? Can't wait to get to Sunday worship. Or I can't wait to get to that holiday. Christmas is coming. Repetitive activities enhance enjoyment. And even while you're in the middle of them, you can be thinking of how you will be enjoying them for years to come. There's no fear that this might be the last time for experiencing one of these activities. It's such a pleasure. I mean, looking forward to next Christmas or your birthday or your son's birthday or Sundays, that next dinner, that steak on the grill. What are you looking forward to? What, what, what grips you? It's the activities, and God's making sure that you don't miss the best things in life. He's going to have them over and over, just like he does. Well, these repetitive activities not only give us something to look forward to and make sure that they're not missed, but repetitive activities also define who you are. Much of these repetitive activities in our life have been built in by God at creation, like day and night sea time and harvest, but many other activities are a direct result of what our involvement with God is and his salvation. For example, Christmas and Easter, the Lord's Supper, the Sabbath day, they define who we are in a large measure. We're not pagans. We are not pagans. We are the people of God. What does that mean? How can you tell we're any different? Look at our repetitive activities. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because we have a God who was born into this world as us, who came after us to bring us into fellowship with and make us a superior people to his power. Why do we celebrate Easter? I mean, who would want to never have another Christmas? We celebrate Easter because we have a God was so close to us that he took upon himself the consequences of our stupidity and our sin and wrong mindsets and defeated our worst enemies of sin and death so we might be able to enjoy life with him forever. As much as he enjoys us, that we might enjoy him that much. That's what Easter means. This is what makes us different from pagans. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why? You know, this is interesting. I was a pastor for probably probably 15, almost 12 or 15 years before I understood the Lord's Supper. Isn't that ridiculous? We only had it once a month in our church, and that's okay. But I began to realize that, you know, why don't I want to have, and I met this other pastor, wanted to have communion more often. And I thought, no, it's going to get boring, it's going to get this, it's going to get that. And he was able to show me that the Lord's Supper is like having dinner at your mother's house. And you love your mother, she's a great cook, and you always have the best time. Why would you only want to do that? Would you only want to have Sunday dinner once a month? Do you understand that when you're drinking, you're taking this, this is Christ's blood into your body? That his blood might flow on you. You're taking his cracker and you're, so that his flesh comes on you. But everyone else who's taking that same cup, 
They're saying the same thing about you. They're saying they'll do anything for you. They'll do what Christ will do for you. They'll die for you. That's, that's what the ideal is. So you're, all your friends are they're showing you how much they not only love Jesus, but how much they love you. It's a million one all the time. Ah, so our church ended up doing it every week. We were so blessed as a result. It was wonderful. But I just didn't know that that's what we're talking about. We celebrate the Sabbath day. Why? So we can enjoy living for one day in seven with him and his people, just like we're already in heaven. The Sabbath day, the reason you don't do any work is not because God's worried about you working. He wants you to not miss the best things in life. So he's given you a whole day to practice. You don't want to work. You don't want to do anything. Because you don't have enough time to really enjoy your kids, to really enjoy your wife, to really enjoy the blessings God's given you. Why would you want to do any work? These people that work on Sundays, it's, it's not so much that it's, it's, it's a terrible sin to, to work on Sunday. I think, I think it could be. But they're missing the sweetness of life. They're missing all the best stuff. Sunday should be something your kids and you can hardly wait to get to because it's so much like heaven in your house. And that day, you eat the best food. You drink the best wine. You have the most fun. That Sunday, why would you want to miss that? And God makes sure, one in seven, you get it all the time. We come to worship service every Sunday. Why? So we can tell God what we think of him. With all his people. The best people. The best God. The best truth. With good music. And a focused order of worship that we can get used to. So that we can get good at it. We can keep our minds focused on God with minimal distraction. Enjoying it all more than anything else. More than even football. Is that possible even? Alabama? I mean, who thinks like that? These repetitive activities define who we are. We're not pagans just trying to get an artificial high with these sensuality things, these drugs or illicit sex or food or anything else. That's That's the junk. We've got the best activities that God designed us for us. And we get to enjoy them over and over again. I hope you don't think I'm crazy. Some people would say that right away. Because they don't want to change. They can't imagine these things being the most exciting things in life. But repetitive activities also provide the best opportunities to bless one another. Being repetitive... You don't have to wonder what's going to happen next or prepare yourself for some unknown happening. You get to know what's going on in the next part of the, the service. In fact, the worship service is one of the most hidden of all things as far as the best activities. Um, we already know in the worship service what's going to happen, but we already know that God himself is here. He wants to be here. So you have all of the... It's an activity that you know God is, is excited about. And then once I get to a, a, uh, this service, I can concentrate. Not so much on being affected myself, but how I can make this experience that I already know is one of the best experiences ever even better for those that are around me. You can get good at these repetitive activities in terms of blessing your people around you as well as experiencing the joy yourself because you will get joy 
by blessing others. God is speaking to you through me right now. He speaks to you through Daniel when he's here. It, and every preacher that preaches knows that these words that come out of, your, out of his mouth, he doesn't even know what, <clears throat> what the effect they're going to be all the time. But they are God's words speaking to you, opening different things to you that you would never have opened. You can listen to what's being said, like the prayer I prayed. God is speaking to you, really. You can get into the liturgy. You know, I don't know if you have much liturgy here. Some people do. Liturgy is a wonderful thing if you know how to work it. Ideally, if there's liturgy and you have to say and respond back, your heart should be so excited that you can hardly do anything except shout it. You just, it you're just that filled with love for God and his people. You, but it takes a long time to get good at that. Ever since I've been into this a bit more, it's not been that long, only maybe 10 years for me. I'll be at Faith Church worshiping. There'll be a little girl in front of me, and I'll be singing. And I'll be singing so loudly because I'm so excited about it. They turn around and I'll be who is this crazy? He's enjoying this worship service. Can you believe it? It's, but you, it's something that you make happen. You work at it. You get good at it. But it's not something that is natural. Because what do most people do to, to a worship service? You come in and you shut off. I know what this is going to be. How long we do it? The game's on this afternoon. Let's get through this. And you do that year after year after year after year. And you miss everything. You can't be totally reserved if you know what's happening to you right now. The angels can't stay away from here, it says. The heavenly beings are around the worship services. They're so blessed. <clears throat> your excitement in the worship service tells who you are. What do you get excited about? What you get excited about tells what, that tells you more than anything else, probably what you're really like. I wanted to read a, a quote here from G.K. Chesterton about this idea of repetitive activities. He's a, a literary genius, been used by God in, in, in a, a book called Orthodoxy. Let me read this to you. <clears throat> because children have abounding vitality, and because they are in, in spirit, fierce and free, Therefore, they want to do things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately. But he's never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite like that of children. For we have sinned and grown old. And our Heavenly Father is younger than we are. 
And I thought, wow. Well, what are the secrets to enjoying God's repetitive activity? Well, one is believe that God's believe that they actually may be the activities that are most precious. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Open your mind up to think, maybe there really is something here. Maybe I have been missing the most satisfying and enjoyable things in life. Don't dismiss what I'm saying out of hand. It's interesting if you look at Isaiah 58, it talks about the Sabbath day. And he says something that you wouldn't normally think. He says, call the Sabbath a delight. Call it a delight. It's not that it's a delight right now, maybe, but call it a delight. Make yourself believe it, because it's true. It's difficult. I, I know. But make yourself begin to believe it. What time we got? It's it's interesting that you're you're not gonna get this kind of idea from the media and the whole culture is telling you with the opposite isn't it that what's really important is the unique the unusual the the spectacular the olympics for example that's so uh, what's most important but it's not true and many churches have bought into the same thing they come to the point where you you have to have something different. You have movie clips. You have to have spectacular lights. We've been in churches that had speakers that pounded so hard that it just hit me in the chest like this. I, we know people that can't even go to church, certain churches, because literally it hits their heart in a certain way. But it's got to be spectacular like that. It's got to be moving. It's got to be unusual. It's got to be strange. And what's so weird about that is that those churches are actually teaching the people of God to miss the most important things in life. To look only for the spectacular, the unusual. And if you go to these churches that are staggeringly large, they almost always have an appeal to the, spe- to the spectacular, to the unique, to the new, the different. They're teaching God's people to miss everything. It's scary. Believe that God's repetitive activities really are the best. Secondly, you have to deliberately start enjoying them. Tell yourself that I'm going to enjoy this activity before you will start enjoying them at all. I mean, activities that we've talked about that you know are God's activities, certainly the worship service and, and playing with your children, the Sabbath day. But I'm even talking about things like brushing your kids' teeth. I remember my girls were this big, and I brushed those teeth every day, every day. And I was so disgusted trying to brush their teeth. And now I look and realize that was one of the most fun things to do. It only lasts for about a year or two years at the most, and then you never brush them again. We used to make up little games, and I could try to get through this. You know, I was missing the real connection. It was something God was giving me that was a gift, and I missed it. It's the same with the worship service. Every single one that you're here, tell God how much you appreciate it, how much you love it, and get into it. Changing diapers. Can you imagine being excited about changing diapers? Yeah, God wants you to change the diapers. You can do it. Hey, having fun together. Being together on the Lord's day. The things you've ruled out as, as these are 
get over things. You've got to get through this. Those things. Consider them. Deliberately start enjoying the repetitive activities God has given you. He loves them. Hence, you will love them. Relish the repetitive. It's probably been underappreciated in your life in the past. You, have, you can have a far fuller life from now on with what you know God has given you. You have a God who's doing these things in you, with you. He's doing them all. He's done them all. He's in you now doing them. He designed life so he could do them with you. They're repetitive. He loves it. And if he loves it, then we will too. And we will come to his mind in all things. May he open our eyes. We're sad people. We're dumb. If he doesn't open, it says the Lord is my light. He illuminates my darkness in the Psalms. That's what he's doing to us now. Because we don't know what we're doing. If he doesn't tell us, we have no idea. We'll miss everything. And we'll lock on to the worthless. We've all done it. Maybe he'll, he'll loosen us a little, loosen our grip on the worthless a little more and grip on the things we never thought we'd ever like. And it'll be the best. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth and your kingdom. Father, we don't know much about your kingdom. And some of the things we, we see we think we wouldn't even like. And we are sad people, Father. We, we don't know what we're doing. We are darkened. And unless you teach us, we will stay dark. So, Father, help us in something like this. The things that you love, that we would love, we would reclaim so much of our life that we've just dismissed as boring, as, as awful, as... Uh, is irrelevant are the very things that many times are your favorites. So, Father, open our eyes that we might see. And we thank you again for your word and your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. Sing first. Oh, okay. <laughs> sing them in this. Sure. benediction I thought we could do something just a little different um, it's uh, kind of exciting it's from the scriptures it's uh, it's in um, in second chronicles chapter 7 um, oh ah, I knew that was going to happen and it's what the people said after Solomon dedicated his temple it's some of the neatest uh, shoutings that the people of God ever did. One of the things in a worship service uh, God tells us is, is to shout. Uh, maybe you're not used to shouting, and so this is part of learning uh, worship. And um, well, here's what they said. Um, they said, 
Truly, he is good. Truly, his loving kindness is everlasting. Truly, he is good. Truly, his loving kindness is everlasting. So I'm going to give you a, a, a benediction of Hebrews, and, and we're going to say it three times. Okay? The first one would be like learning. The second time you say it, say it as loud as you, you can. And the third time, say it as loud as you want. Okay? We're going to, we're going to shout it to the Lord, because truly, he is good, and truly his loving kindness is everlasting. Okay. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. Truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. Truly he is good. Truly, his loving kindness is everlasting. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you. Oh, sure, Jane. It's such a pleasure to be here. We enjoyed it. Oh, amen.